Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle or startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, 
and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray together. Our Father, the passage of Scripture that we just read, written about 700 years before the birth of our Savior, and yet it so clearly describes who He is and what He accomplished for us that enables us, that gives us the freedom to pray to you and know that you hear us with open ears. You look upon us with favor because your son accomplished our redemption on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin that enabled you to welcome us with wide open arms. We are asking that today you would show us your face, show us the reality of who you are, grant to us your wisdom, grant to us your outlook, give us an, a full understanding of what you've done on our behalf, that we might become ever deeper, more consistent worshipers and servants of you. Only you can supply this outcome by the strength you grant to us. We thank you that we can pray this prayer with confidence because your Son made the way for us that our prayers might be heard by you. And even in heaven there is joy at the sweet aroma of the prayers of your people. We ask for a divine outcome for everything that happens today, everything that's said or sung. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd Jesus and Great Heavenly Father, Amen. The title of today's message, Redemption Done. Redemption Done. The oldest promises in the Scripture. Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> God speaking to the serpent. I will draw a seed from the woman. He will bruise your head. You will bruise his heel. Well, a head bruise is a killing blow. A heel bruise can be debilitating, but it's not typically lethal. Isaiah 7.14, the seed of the woman, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus, born of that virgin Mary, is God come in the flesh. Two years after his, well, the shepherds came and worshipped him. 
two years later, the Magi showed up in Bethlehem and they worshipped him. He is God. He is God come in the flesh, worthy of unrestrained worship. Anything you can offer to the Father without restraint, you can offer to the Son without restraint, you can offer to the Holy Spirit without restraint. One God who is three persons. We have been marching through the narrative portion of John's Gospel. The experience of our Lord Jesus upon the event of His arrest, the trials. Jesus is arrested by the temple soldiers, not Roman soldiers. He's arrested at night. He is tried at night, which is completely contrary to Jewish law. You're never supposed to have a trial except in the daylight hours, but they tried Jesus at night, and they coached witnesses to come and speak against him because they needed to have two or better three witnesses all saying the same thing. And when they came out, even though they were coached, when they came out to testify against Jesus, their their testimonies didn't agree. (laughs) The whole thing collapsed in an utter frustration The Jewish leadership, as the sun came up, they took Jesus to the praetorium, to Pontius Pilate's place, which was a guarded, gated, walled place, and they brought him to Pilate because the Romans reserved to themselves the right for execution. Even people who under Jewish law should be stoned to death, they had to have Roman permission. And they, and especially since Pilate is in Jerusalem, we have to do this. Of course, this is all engineered by our Lord because the Scripture had said a thousand years ahead of time through David, they have pierced my hands and my feet. The manner of Jesus' execution was laid out hundreds and hundreds of years in advance. So here is Jesus being taken to Pilate, and Pilate can find no fault in this man. Repeatedly, repeatedly, Pilate says, what are your accusations against this man? And what do they say? Oh, he makes himself out to be a king. Yeah, so... What are your accusations? What has he done that's worthy of execution? Well, he makes himself out to be a king. He makes himself out to be a king. Just crucify him. Just crucify him. Just do it. Or we're going to riot. We're going to riot. We're going to riot if you don't crucify him. And of course, Pilate doesn't want to riot. And then they say to Pilate, oh, he also says not only that he's the king of the Jews, but he also says, I am the son of God. And that's when Pilate, in John's narrative, really freaks out. And he takes Jesus back into the praetorium. He says, who are you? And, they say, and Jesus answers, nothing. Don't you know I have power to crucify you or to set you free? This is all up to me. You would have no authority, Pilate, if it had not been given you from God. Therefore, 
the real guilt lays with those who brought me to you, trying to use you. And then Pilate goes out and again tries to. They have already scourged Jesus. They've taken the flesh off of his back. They've jammed the crown of thorns down on his head. They put a royal robe of mockery, a purple, a purple robe. That's the color of royalty. They put that on his shoulders. The Roman soldiers did, mocking him. Hail, King of the Jews! And, P- and Pilate brings Jesus out with the crown of thorns, the bloody back, and the purple robe. And he says to the Jewish leadership and people, Behold your king. And they say, Matthew's Gospel, We have no king but Caesar. excuse me, John's gospel. We have no king but Caesar. Ladies and gentlemen, if they had tried, they couldn't have come up with a more blasphemous statement, a more anti-God statement. The king of Israel is Yahweh, is the Lord. And they have just said, we have no king but Caesar, a pagan Roman emperor. And then they said, if you do not kill him, this man who claims to be a king of the Jews, the king of Israel, you are no friend of Caesar. And that literally puts Pilate's own life on the line. He is already in jeopardy with the Roman emperor. And so that's when he washes his feet of the blood of this just, excuse me, washes his hands of the blood of this just man and says, I'm washing my hands of the blood of this just man, and the Jewish leadership leads the people in the chant, let his blood be on us and on our children. And Pilate releases Jesus, sends him out with the Roman soldiers, four Roman soldiers, to be crucified. Backing up a little bit to where we left off, from where we left off last Sunday, John 19, verse 14. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but he said, I am the King of the Jews. 
Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts. That's why we know there are four soldiers. Made four parts, to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the bodies should not remain on the cross the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. After this, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden 
and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Large narrative. What do we find here? We find a description of what Jesus did in order to fulfill the Father's purpose for sending him. The very first public pronouncement made about Jesus was that from John the Baptist. And what did John the Baptist say of him before his own disciples? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they instantly would have jumped to the, in their own minds, they would have jumped to the Passover celebration where the lamb was examined going all the way back to Egypt when the first Passover took place. But in every year since then, they had celebrated the Passover and that Passover lamb had to be flawless. But one of the things to notice about the Passover is they had to do it year after year, after year, after year, after year. Why? Because it really didn't solve any problem. Now, the first event, it solved the problem in the sense that the death angel who was coming into Egypt, if he saw the blood of the lamb on the lintel and doorposts of whatever door, whether Jewish or Egyptian. And by the way, there were Egyptians that believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There were Egyptians that actually went out with Israel when they departed the land. So whether, whether you were an Egyptian or a, an Israeli, if you had the blood on the lintel and doorposts of your, your house, the death angel went over, he passed over your house and only took the lives of the firstborn of those households that did not have the blood. So the first Passover did accomplish something. Every time after that, it was simply the restatement of what God had done for their forefathers earlier, but it was also a prophetic picture of what the Lamb of God would do for them in an eternal sense in some day to come. And here is the Passover lamb. Behold, the lamb of God, said John the Baptist, who takes away the sin of the world. And so here at the very time when they are, in, they are examining Passover lambs in the temple, getting them the, the day after Jesus' crucifixion, that at sundown, the Jewish day is from sundown to sundown. They had to get Jesus and these other two men off the crosses Jewish law requires when they executed a person in ancient Israel, when they stoned them to death, they would then put the carcass up on a tree. But the law also mandated they had to get them off that tree and into the ground before the sun went down. And so the Jewish leadership made it very clear to Pilate, you got to get these guys, Jesus and these other two fellows, off of their trees and into the ground before the sun goes down, not only is it the Sabbath, it is this high holy Sabbath, it is the Passover Sabbath. And so they will do that. But here is Jesus accomplishing on the cross 
would only he, God the Son become flesh, could accomplish. Pilate had that sign nailed to the cross above the head of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And when the Jewish leadership said, that's not what we want you to write, you can write, he said he was. No, you go pound sand. I'm done with you people. I'm done with you people. What I've written, I have written. And in fact, it was a truthful statement. He was, is, is, is the King of the Jews. And many of the Jewish people read that. It was written over his head. The soldiers divided his garments among them, which was in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Read Psalm 22. We read it last week in the public worship, Psalm 22. And it is loaded with testimonies written by David about a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They've pierced my hands and my feet. They have cast lots for my garments. They've given me vinegar to drink. David's got to be wondering, what in the world am I writing? What is God the Holy Spirit pushing through my stylus? <laughs> I don't know what this is about, but I know it's him maneuvering my hand. They divided my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, because it was written, the soldiers who don't even know those prophecies exist, therefore the soldiers did these things. Therefore they did them because God said they would. They are being, here are these pagan Roman soldiers. Their own actions are being governed by the Father who has sent the Son to pay sin's penalty for us on the cross. Therefore, therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister. By the way, we know from the Gospel of Mark, her name is Salome. Mary, his mother, his mother's sister, Salome, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Mary had to have been the most popular girl's name in that because there's so many Marys walking around. Three of the four women are Mary. Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which is how John the Apostle always refers to himself in John. He never names himself. He is always the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus... And he is there at the foot of the cross with these four women. And Jesus fixes his eyes on his mother and says, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. And Mary stayed with John throughout his career, which is interesting, Jesus had four other half-brothers, and yet he, he, the oldest, committed the care of his mother into the hands of the Apostle John. And uh, if you do a 
tour of the Mediterranean, a, a, you know, go on, go on a ship and tour all these historic places in the Mediterranean someday. One of the places you can go to is the city of Ephesus. It's right there on the Turkish coast. And uh, if you do a tour of the city, they will show you the place where Mary lived while John, the apostle, lived in Ephesus managing, bishoping that whole series of churches in that, in that geographical region. Mary, and this is in the 80s, 70s, 80s, early 90s AD, Mary is still with him. Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own house. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, he has been on the cross for several hours. He has already cried out. We know from all of the gospel narratives, there were seven statements Jesus made from the cross. The sixth statement of the seven that Jesus makes from the cross is the one that we translate, it is finished. The Greek word is the word tetelestai. Tetelestai was a Greek word that actually meant in their usage in the culture of the entire Mediterranean, paid in full. When you went to the marketplace and filled your basket, you're at some guy's booth and he's selling vegetables and you fill your, you're filling your basket with his vegetables. He's writing down on a piece of papyrus. He's writing down, okay, so much celery, so many tomatoes, so many or what. I don't know if they even had celery and tomatoes there, but okay. Once you finish putting his goods in your basket and then you and he's made the list and you paid him for those goods, he would write to Telestai paid in full across your bill. Greek was also the language of the Roman court system. Greek was the language of the Mediterranean, even the Romans day to day by day spoke Greek, not Latin. Even in the Roman Senate, they're debating each other in Greek, not Latin. It was the language of the Roman court system. And when you had committed or had been convicted of a series of crimes in the Roman court, they would make out an actual crime bill for you. And when you had paid off every penalty, this so much fine, so much, so many wax with the rod, so much time in the salt mines, whatever it was, when you had paid off your crime bill, they wrote to Telestai across your crime bill, paid in full. When Jesus cried this out from the cross, everybody is like, oh, he just paid off a debt. His debt? Somebody's debt? My debt? What? The apostle, and then, by the way, if you have been, once you had paid off your criminal debt in the Roman court system, they would write to Telestai across your crime debt, roll up the papyrus, hand it to you so you could take it home and nail it to your front door so that nobody could come back and accuse you and say, oh, man. That guy, Jeremy, he's supposed to be in the salt mines. You, you could take him by the hand, Jeremy, lead them to your front door and say, no, you're talking about this, paid in full, go away. That was the custom. 
the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2 says, God has taken the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, the list of all our crimes against heaven, and nailed it to the cross. Not to my front door, nailed it to the cross. Jesus cried out to tell us that I paid in full. He had just paid off the sin debt of the human race, which gave his father perfect freedom to forgive me and you. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. They gave him the sour wine. So when Jesus, verse 30, had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished to telesty, paid in full. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And the other gospel accounts tell us, he actually says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He dismissed his own spirit into the hands of the Father. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Now, Jesus has dismissed his spirit. The Jews don't know this. They don't know that he's dead. But the other two men crucified on each side of Jesus, they're still alive. Typical crucifixion, it would take three or four days for someone to die. But in order to be able to survive, you have, your, your feet are overlapped. They drive a nail through your feet. And in order to breathe, you have to push yourself up on that nail driven through your feet in order to breathe. So if they break their legs, then they can only hang there and they will suffocate. And so they say to Pilate, you need to end this now because the high holy day, they've got to be off those crosses and in the ground in a tomb somewhere before the sun goes down and that high holy day, that Sabbath begins. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. He had dismissed his spirit into the hands of the Father. Therefore, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And immediately blood and water came out. That's why he pierced his side with a spear, making sure he's really dead. And when they saw that the fluids were separating the Roman soldiers, who are experts in this particular task of who's dead and who's not, (laughs) they saw the fluids were separating, and that was absolute proof to them that Jesus had died. So we don't need to break his legs. By the way, I don't know if they went through his side here or through the ribs, but in any, it, none of his bones were broken. None of his bones were broken. Why would God prophesy that none of his bones would be broken? Why, in order that we, the later disciples of Jesus, would be able to see, oh, God the Father 
was in absolute control. He hadn't lost control, therefore his son got crucified. No, he was in absolute control of everything that was happening. By the way, when they when they crucified, when it says the hands were the nails were driven through the hands, the Greek word for hand is from the tip of the finger to the elbow. They actually drove the nails through this hollow place in the wrist. If they drove them through the palm of the hand, they would have just torn out. They drove them through the hollow place in the wrist where there are bones here that will hold them up so that they won't tear out. So they're driving the nails, but through the hollow place in the wrist. Jesus had already been beaten in the face by the soldiers of Herod Antipas, and yet they didn't break his jaw. They didn't break the orbital ridge around his eyes, which is very fragile. They they could only push their fist into his face as much as they had divine permission. The angle of the nails through both his wrist and his feet, overlapped feet. Your feet, foot bones are very fragile. And yet they broke not a bone. Then they didn't break his legs as they did with the other men. They drove this spear through his side, whether it was through his ribcage or not, I don't know. But I tell you, I can't put a 30 caliber bullet through a deer's ribcage without breaking bones. God was absolutely in control of all. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, Dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out, absolute proof that he was physically dead. And he who has seen, John speaking of himself, and he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. By the way, this is a prophecy that still will be fulfilled. Zechariah chapter 12 When Jerusalem is surrounded by the armies of all the nations there to destroy the Jews, it says that thus says the Lord, he will rip open the heavens and he will come out and the Jewish people in Jerusalem will look up and look it upon him whom they pierced. That was written about three or four hundred years before Jesus' birth, but it is yet to be fulfilled but there's only one person in all of Jewish history that the Jewish people took responsibility upon themselves for piercing. And that's Jesus of Nazareth. Let his blood be on us and on our children. They shall look on him whom they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He is a very prominent Jewish man. He's been a secret disciple. We've already been told in John's Gospel that there were many in the Jewish leadership that believed, but would not come out publicly because they didn't want to lose their position. Well, now Joseph is coming out, and also Nicodemus, who has first appeared in the Gospel of John narrative three years plus before, 
when he comes to Jesus at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus having cleansed the temple for the first time, he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his public ministry and again at the end, and he comes to Jesus by night and says, you have to be from God or you couldn't be doing these signs. Jesus had healed and cleansed lepers. He had healed people, cleansed lepers, given sight to them. He had done a massive number of signs, and Nicodemus comes and says, you have to be from God. And then halfway through the John narrative, he stands up and makes a half-hearted attempt to defend Jesus in the Sanhedrin and gets shouted down. Now he comes out publicly. And Nicodemus, who at the first came to Jesus by night, well, Joseph of Arimathea came and asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body. What did it say in Isaiah 53? He died amongst the guilty, but with, he was put with the rich in his death. That's 700 years before Jesus is born. With the rich in his death. And Nicodemus, so he, Joseph of Arimathea, came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. That is a fortune that he has just spent in these spices. And the way they handled the carcass is that they would wrap the linen around the carcass and put in the layers, they would put these spices. This Nicodemus, who had been so shy about coming out, not only comes out now to help Joseph of Arimathea, but he has spent a large amount of money for these spices. And when grave robbers robbed graves in the ancient world, they weren't after carcasses, they were after the linen and they were after the spices. That, they were extremely valuable. When the Magi came, they brought gold, frank, gold because of the value he is a king, frankincense, which is a, produces a cloud of, that is wonderful, it's used in worship, and myrrh. What does Nicodemus bring? Myrrh. And it pointed ultimately when it was offered as a gift by the Magi, but also by Nicodemus. It was something that referenced the coming sacrifice. And he brought spices. About a hundred pounds. And as they wrapped the body, they put the spices in. Now, later on, the women are going to come to do the same thing. Why? Because they're standing back. They're not seeing fully what Joseph and Nicodemus are doing. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea are already doing the task that those women will be coming to do later, thinking that Jesus is still in the tomb. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it with, in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden by the sovereign hand of God, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. 
So they were able to get all of this task done and get him in the tomb before the sun went down and the new day began. So what do we see here? We see in this narrative the wonderful picture of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And I had planned actually to go through the next chapter, but I will spare you. (laughs) But I would encourage you, get out your own Bible and read through this narrative. Read through this narrative. What has happened here? What has been accomplished? Jesus to tell us die. Paid in full. Paid in full. Jesus paid sin's penalty for us. That gives His Holy Father complete freedom to forgive you and me. Because all of the hell, all of the lake of fire due to the entire human race forever and ever and ever was poured out upon God the Son on the cross. It is finished. To tell us die, it's paid in full. That gives his Father perfect, his Holy Father perfect freedom to forgive you and me. We are set free and we can be welcomed into the presence of the Holy God. It is finished. It is finished. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we do ask that what you have stated to us just now through your word to many of us, if not all of us, it's not new news. But to all of us, it is good news. And if there is anything in our mind, heart, or soul that causes us to doubt the fullness and completeness of what you have done, that we have a welcome with you, unrestrained, glad welcome in your presence because of what your Son has done for us on the cross. We ask that you would shepherd us through to that place where we truly understand and have received that benefit. All to your praise and glory. Our Lord, so I'm going to invite everyone here to join me in this prayer. Father, I want to thank you that you offered your Son on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I want to welcome that gift from you. That gift of forgiveness which you are now free to give to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this gift.